0: Welcome to episode 53 of the UK Sports Chat podcast. I'm Joe Williams and in today's episode I speak with Chaz Newkey-Burden. Chaz is a running fanatic who's run at hundreds of events including marathons, half marathons and over 100 park runs. He writes about running for The Guardian, Daily Telegraph, Metro and The Eye and has contributed to Runner's World and Men's Health. He's the author of many books including running cheaper than therapy and his new book the runner's code the unwritten rules of everyday running came out on the 14th of october as usual please do give us any feedback comment and tell us your thoughts on the podcast via our social channels or on info at ukrunchat.co.uk in the meantime have a fantastic end to your week and we'll see you on next week's podcast
1: Welcome, Chaz. How are you? I'm very well thank you. How are you?
0: yeah, yeah, very well, thank you. thanks for coming on the u k run chat podcast. Great to have you on. thank you for having me um and thanks for hosting the hour last night of course you um you had your first go at co-hosting didn't you?
1: It was amazing yeah, um I'm sure you hear this quite possibly every week, but it really you know from from guest hosts, but it really whizzed past um Yeah, you know, I sort of when I imagined it, I imagined a, you know, I imagined a sort of maybe not a marathon length uh, affair, but kind of like a half marathon length affair, and it felt oh less than a less than a a, more like a five k (laughs) probably. Yeah, oh yeah, because that was how much fun it was, and um, it's just lovely how you know friendly I think that runners are. Um, Yes, how generally positive I think runners are, and I, I sort of noticed that both when I go running uh, and also in any interactions online or in any interactions about um, my book. And and that's not actually the case with all, um, you know, some other, if, if you want to say like as a basic genre, like health and fitness type sort of communities don't have such... Um, always such great reputations for friendliness without mentioning any names, (coughs) cyclists. But um (laughs) um, but I think, you know, whether that perception of cyclists is is right or wrong is another debate. But um certainly I just think that runners are generally a very um lovely people and that's why I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I I agree. It's very um it's very welcoming, isn't it? I, I I've I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I can remember it was a few years back now. I remember Michael Owen, the footballer, um, being interviewed, having just finished the London Marathon, oh, yeah. and he was commenting on how he just wasn't used to everybody cheering you along. He was used to being in <laughs> football grounds and getting you know vile, vile abuse thrown at him, and he he just couldn't believe it. He, he couldn't believe that how well you know being in an environment like that, um, which which runners are,
1: yeah, as you say. And supporters of runners as well, well, I think, you know, one of the things that I hadn't realised that I'd missed during sort of the main bulk of the pandemic, but that I realised once I emerged back into the world, um, something I had missed was well-wishers at events. Um, It's actually, you know, occasionally it can get, you know, I can get a little bit teary during an event because people are just so nice. I think that's more perhaps at marathons, but even at half marathons, even at park runs sometimes, you know, a mere 5k, someone will turn up to just stand on the side and cheer you on. and It's quite funny actually, because quite often if it's somebody out of a a parkrun who's cheering from the side, they quite often have clearly in their head a massively inflated sense of what the degree of challenges for most of the people there. I think for most people at parkrun, it's not a once in a lifetime sort of almost deadly level of challenge, but you'll get them cheering you on as if you're you know, doing an ultra marathon, which is always quite sweet. I'll take encouragement and praise from anyone. Yeah, yeah, damn right.
0: <laughs> I, I saw on um, I saw on Twitter that you've you, you've had a bit of a calf niggle, have you recently? All good now? Or?
1: Yeah, I think it is all good. It's it's interesting because I've been running. I mean, in a way, I've been running all my life. I loved it as a kid, but in terms of an actual weekly hobby, or you know, d- daily or almost daily hobby, I've been doing that since around two thousand and one. So, you know, 20 years and I've had such, such little issue um, with injuries. I mean, basically none. Oh. Uh, the only slight things I've sometimes, that have occasionally temporarily, you know, for a week or two prevented me from running here or there were things that actually weren't connected to running anyway. So, okay. you know, a bad back from the desk, from sitting slouching at my desk all day because I have bad posture, lazy posture. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm kind of... Whereas there are some runners, you know, I think particularly when you're going to Parkrun every week, which I did for quite a while, um, Mm -hmm. you you get to know other runners. And there will always be that person at Parkrun who's just perennially, you know, injured or coming back from an injury or about to get injured. Or in my, I don't know if it's just the ones I go to, quite often people who just turn up with injuries and do it anyway because they've got (laughs) some sort of addiction issue going on with Parkrun. But yes, thank you. I think the calf is now clearing up which I'm relieved about. I had to take nine days off running, which yeah. absolutely chomping at the bit for it mentally. Um, and, and frankly, physically, I, I sometimes find if I stop running, it sounds really weird. But you know, you see those videos on YouTube and stuff, that which are quite funny, of dogs dreaming. Yeah. And they're kind of kicking or sort of running in their sleep. Yeah. I start getting like that when I'm sitting at the desk. My legs start <laughs> pumping up and down. Like, come on, aren't you meant to be Itchy feet. Running? Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
0: So you you mentioned there that you've you, you've been doing it for twenty years, but you also ran as a kid. Have you have you always been sporty? As you know, and, and were you a runner as a child, or was there other sports that you enjoyed?
1: I guess I wanted to be a footballer, to be honest, yeah. and I I was a sort of um, a a semi decent uh, sort of marauding right back. Yeah. Um, and I say semi decent because it was that sort of irritating level of ability whereby. I'd sort of always get picked for the school and I'd sometimes get picked for the district. And I was always good enough to get picked for the district yeah, here or there, but never enough to, you know, make the shirt my own, as they say. So in a way, I sort of part of me started wishing that I wasn't quite as good because I found it incredibly disappointing, you know, when I'd get into the district side and then just I'd realize within a minute of the match starting that I was completely out of my... In fact, yeah, not completely out of my depth. I was just enough out of my depth for it to be an issue. Um, So I guess I got into running. I mean, that was at primary school, all of that. At secondary school, I think why I got into running, to be honest with you, is I went to a a very, very bizarre secondary school. It was actually run by a religious cult and it ended up being exposed in the media and all this sort of stuff. But the upshot of it is, is that I didn't really enjoy myself much at all at that school But the two things I did like doing were English because I've always liked writing and that was the one thing that I would get, you know, good feedback from mostly from the teachers. Yes. And the other one was running. And I think it was partly because it felt so, it was such a sort of a repressive and a repressed atmosphere in the school. that I suppose it's inevitable that me, you know, that the time where you get to run on your own and literally run free would be a big appeal. The other thing was about it was that, I would find that if I ran really fast, because we'd run in Richmond park and if the buses went my way on the way home, you know, like if they worked well for me, my bus connections, I could get home and watch three Australian soap operas in a row. Yeah. Neighbors home and away. Home and Away Neighbours would definitely have been one. I think the other one was Sons and Daughters. Oh, and, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember there two people. I don't remember their name on Sons and Daughters there, but it's two characters who just hated each other, and it felt like the whole thing became based around their rivalry, and I became obsessed with it. So I really, initially, if I'm honest, learned to run a bit, you know, not very fast, but pretty fast, because I just wanted to get back and watch Sons and Daughters. And I'd come bursting through the door, and I'd make a big hot cup of tea, because yeah. uh, I'd still be in my kit and I'd put honey in it. I remember at that era, I don't know why I was having honey in my tea, but I was. And um, yeah. well, I mean, obviously to sweeten it, but I, mean, I don't know why I had it as opposed to sugar. Yeah. And um, I would just sit there and I'd have the runners glow, the runners high.
0: Yeah,
1: I'd have three Aussie soaps in a row. I'd have this hot, hot tea with beautiful honey in it, and that was it for life. Really, I mean, I just felt so happy and it was only once a week we did it but i'd feel on wednesdays i remember it well and i'd feel so happy on those days that yes. i think i i learned about the runner's high perhaps younger than some people do i mean nowadays i think running is much more of a thing because this was because i'm ridiculously old this was like in the 80s and you know if we'd be honest with you if if a man particularly if he was a middle-aged man took up jogging everyone would just laugh a because they'd be mocking him because he might not sort of run as gracefully or have as athletic a body as he might have but secondly Mm -hmm. because actually running as a hobby was really rare then compared to now yes yes it's hard for you know younger people now certainly to sort of imagine that it really was a rarity. You you, you talk about it. Like if somebody took up, you'd go, have you heard? Well, well, Paul, you know, some middle-aged man in the the area, he started jogging because it was always only called jogging then, which is another thing that's changed. But um, yeah, that's how I started. Uh, Sons and daughters, basically. Sons and daughters driven.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. So English and running, obviously, as I, as I mentioned in the intro before we, Started chatting. You're you, you're a writer, obviously, and um, your latest book from Bloomsbury's come out. Um, and you're a runner, but just just to go back to your football bit that you mentioned, I I, I had luck. I was doing a bit of research, obviously, before we had our chat, and I noticed that you used to work for what was my favourite magazine as a child, oh. which was Shoot Magazine, the football magazine. Is, is I, did. I I it's used good. to be there every week with my sixty five p pocket money ready for the posters because my room was covered in all the posters that might uh, what a dream job if you enjoyed that as a footballer and a writer
1: I did enjoy it mm-hmm. it was um I I I always think back now that I I wish I hadn't have you know taken it so much for granted at the time because to me I kind of like felt like of course this was my life but when I look back now it seems utterly sort of surreal that that was my life but yeah it was a staff writer on shoot um as you know um you know football magazine for well the, but most kids first football magazine yeah. um yeah and basically my job was just going around interviewing footballers which was exciting enough as it was it was made even more exciting in a way because it being shoot we were only interested in the you know sort of a list sort of footballers because kids don't want to hear about a right-back at Sheffield Wednesday, with with no disrespect at all to Sheffield Wednesday, but a a right-back with an interesting, quirky story. They want players, the top players from maybe the top four clubs. Yeah. And they're not interested in anyone else. So this was like in the early-ish early years of the Premier League. So I'd be sort of interviewing, you know, the Beckham and Keane and Burt Camp and Michael Owen, who you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. You know, just... And so often that you'd sort of see them... Not very often, not, not. it wouldn't be like you'd be seeing them week by week, but eventually, after a while, they'd start to recognize you. And because at shoot, we never, we wouldn't stitch anyone up yeah. at shoot. You know, we weren't in that sort of business. We just wanted to ask them the sort of questions that kids wanted answered and to, yeah. you know, report on what they said. But um, that mm-hmm. was good fun. Who do you support?
0: I'm a Shrewsbury Town fan. Right. Born and bred Shrewsbury. Yeah. And um, we, yeah, stick with your local team. As a kid growing up, we all we all had a Premier League team as well, and mine was Arsenal. There was no yeah. reason. There was no reason for it. I think it must have been the first in the list that I saw because it began with A. <laughs> I just <chose>, go. <laughs> I just chose them. But yeah, Shoot Shoot we Towns, my
1: local team. Great. So you were collecting just. Posters of players who you admired, sort of, regardless of who they played for. I guess. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. You know, yeah, Shrewsbury Town posters.
0: Yeah, there weren't there weren't many of those in shoot, <laughs> if any. <laughs> uh, so, so what does your what does your running week look like now? If it used to be Wednesdays for sons and daughters, because I know that you've took part in lot lots of events. Is it you know do you, do you regularly train for events now
1: or is it? Well, I do. So in terms of the week, my sort of my absolute bread and butter locked in is a short run on Tuesday and Thursday mornings, yeah. and then almost religiously a long run on Saturday mornings. Mm-hmm. Very occasionally, I might have to move it to the Sunday, perhaps because you know we're doing something on the Saturday or something. And I literally, I I, <laughs> I nearly cry even at the thought of not doing it on the Saturday. Um, so that, at the moment, my short runs are. Um, I mean generally for my short runs I stick to three um miles for each of those. And then the long run, where am I currently at? I can't remember because I took a bit of time off. Uh nine miles I'm currently at for that. Yeah. Um every September I run the Windsor Half Marathon, okay. which is my local half marathon. But what I've started doing since then is um I've decided to do a quarterly half marathon. So the autumn the September one will be the Windsor half. And then the other three will likely be just half marathon length runs on my own. But I like the idea of constantly ramping up to that distance, then maybe going down a little bit for a couple of weeks afterwards, then ramping back up again. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: In the past, I've done the Dublin Marathon three times, and that's in October, the end of October. And, you know, when, when the world is more sort of normal, that's definitely one of the things I want to sort of go and do you know, a bit, a, a few more times uh, that that specific marathon because everything about it is great for me. I I love training. The fact that the peak training comes in late summer, early autumn, yeah, is perfect for me. You know, I I I, I flinch whenever somebody tells me they're doing the London Marathon. I'm sure it's obviously <laughs> a great event, but to me, the idea of doing the peak of my training in like February just doesn't appeal at all being yeah, I miles, icy roads um so and the other reason why dublin's great is the people are just you know we we're talking about well wishes earlier just absolutely off the scale there the level of support you get yes um every you know because it's mainly goes sort of through the suburbs i think um you know i'm not an expert on the geography of dublin but i think it's sort of goes out the city quite quickly through the big park and then sort of lots of time through lots of suburbs of Dublin and the people are amazing it's like you don't just have the official drink station and stuff you have people like bringing out tables of their own onto the side of the road like big cauldrons of stew and like ladling out and offering stew to really? <laughs> yeah and I mean you know I, I, I'm vegan so I'm not going to eat a stew anyway but even in the days where I did eat meat I must admit I never fancied a stew in mile 18. of America. No, no, not. no, but it's, but it's kind and yeah. they're very, very friendly. And, um, so I hope to do more of that. So yeah, Tuesday, Thursday and Saturdays are my running days.
0: Yeah. It's not, it wouldn't be so much stew as well for me because if I was to eat stew, I'm, I'm, I'm a bread dipper, you know, I'd have the big chunks of bread mm. as well. And I think, I think all that bread at mile 18 wouldn't, um, probably come back up again. By yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is that is that your favourite event you've ever done then? Is it Jazz Dublin or is
1: there another one that sticks out? Um, I'd have to say that the favourite one is just by a whisker is the Windsor Half. Because although I love the Dublin Marathon, I've done it three times. And the middle one was the first day. The first time I did it was one of the very best days of my life. The third time I did it was one of the very best days of my life. The middle one was definitely one of the very worst days of my life because okay. everything went, went wrong. Um And therefore, I kind of have a very mixed feeling about it. So I'd have to say Windsor Half Marathon is my favourite because it, it, A, because it's a brilliant event, and B, because nothing's ever gone wrong now. I've never had any kind of issues, um, you know, with my own, with my own running. Uh, I think Windsor's great... I mean, it's very, very well organised. It's like everything sort of, you mm-hmm. know, runs like clockwork. Even the most recent one in September, you know, in the yeah. middle of a pandemic, you know, they just kept everything working well. And I'm quite a Rona paranoiac. So the fact that they managed to do it all without me yeah, ducking out and going, this this feels too risky, is a great credit to them. Yeah, um, beautiful scenery. Um, the only issue with the Windsor half is it is very hilly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyone who does it for the first time. You, you, if you if you Twitter search Windsor Half Marathon, the evening after the Windsor Half Marathon, you'll see tons of people saying, I had no idea it was so hilly. My yeah. other favourite event is the Northola Park Run. Uh, that is my favourite um, so like, no, North? What's that one I, I think it's, I, I mean, I'm kind of guessing at the pronunciation. I think <laughs> it's Northola. So North, O-L-A, all okay. in one word. And um it's somewhere between Ealing and Wembley, I think. Okay. Um, we can tell I'm not a driver, but and I, <laughs> I have friends with cars. But um, uh, it's a really, really good one. It's um, quite Nepalese heavy. I think it's quite sort of organised by local Nepalese community, which just makes it yeah. you know, interesting and really nice. It's a nice park. They have these mounds in the park, which, as I understand, are built artificially, from, built up from the ground with rubble, uh, from the old Wembley Stadium. So what okay. I like to do as I run around is to look at them and think that's where Freddie Mercury sang, or that's where Tony Adams scored the winner against yeah. Wales. Or yeah, yeah, you're you're running where the greats
0: have have run across Wembley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can imagine that, couldn't you? As you as you're running along, is one of your distraction techniques. You know, where, is this where? Is this where Gaza stood and put that free kick into the top corner in the FA Cup semi-final that year. Well, yeah, for <laughs> you. <yeah. Redful, yeah. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, what have you? Are you superstitious, Chas? Have you got any pre-race
1: routines or? Um, let me see. Not superstitious. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm very much a creature of habit. Mm-hmm. So. Um, interesting on the run chat last night on Twitter, I asked, you know, as you saw my, I think it was my third or fourth question was, you know, where would you most like to run a marathon yeah. in the world? And, you know, I said, Lankawi or Belfast, but the truth is, is that every single time I would just want to go back to Dublin, okay. even if uh, somebody gave me a magic wand and said, you can run a marathon in any event, you'll be a guaranteed place. You'll have a guaranteed place to stay and everything, you know, will be laid on. Or you can go back to Dublin I'll go, I'll go back to Dublin. So I'm very much a creature of habit. Um, in terms of, I need to be on my own before an event. Mm-hmm. I don't like anyone to, I don't want any well wishes. Yeah. <laughs> anyone that I know that is. One time when I was revving up for the Windsor half at the at the park itself. Mm-hmm you know, a, a friend and her son sort of appeared and because they knew I was doing it, they'd come along to wish me well. And yeah. of course, beautiful, well-intentioned, loving gesture, but inside I was seething. <laughs> <laughs> and I tend to get very, very nervous and tense before events, which is really odd, especially when it's when I do that before, say, the winter half, a, a distance and a track that I've run yeah so many times, but I'll still every day wake up as if I'm, you know about to stand trial for war crimes or something yeah, yeah um it's
0: really common though isn't it people feel like that why why do you think that is because you know we're not well i suppose it depends on your mindset we're only really competing with ourselves
1: yeah. what why, why do you think that is i concluded like you know i wrote about this in the runner's code um i concluded that i think it's to me it's a sign of how much it matters to me mm-hmm. you know how much i care yeah um I think there's also perhaps a more sort of instinctive physical thing, which is to do with, you know, that your, your body might, I think if you're very connected with your body, which I think runners are, we're very, we know much more what's going on in our bodies than most people. Like we, we will notice an issue in our foot or our leg sooner than somebody who doesn't run, but has the equivalent issue coming up. Yeah, we're Mm. yeah so i think therefore our bodies kind of react and they get you know you get that fight or flight thing that's mm. why you get you know without going to too much i think that's why you get long cues at the pool to lose at the beginning that's part yeah. of the whole nervous thing it's sort of like right we're here for some sort of yeah you're right because we're not actually fighting but it is a feeling of battle isn't it mm-hmm. yeah yeah it is it's um
0: yeah the, the cues for the toilet is is that everyone's nervousness or is it that there's not enough toilets? I do often wonder that. Yeah,
1: I think a bit of both. And I, I do feel like, and again, I've I've written about this, but I do feel there's such a gender uh, imbalance here because certainly um, nearly all the running events I've gone to, men happily just hop off the side of the course, whether you're talking about in Windsor Great Park, where I do the half marathon or on the streets of Dublin, um, and whatever and we'll just you know have a number one and all that and against a lamppost or against a bush and all that and then hop back and it's not as simple for um you know i mean it could be as simple for women but in, in in today's western societies it's not as simple as that as that for women if they don't. so therefore what i sort of think was there should be more lose and that there should be more women uh women run a specific portaloos because it's just not you know it's harder for them to sort of deal with all of this yes. stuff because they can't just go up against a, a bush, although frankly if one of them did it would be you'd have to applaud them <laughs> you, would. <laughs> you would
0: so so tell us tell us about the new book then um what is the runners code?
1: Well, what I, I sort of wanted to write a book that would sort of work for all runners. So whether you're new to running, been running for years, and I wanted to cover everything from, you know, literally from how to get started as a runner uh, to how to run into old age and everything in between. So the idea is, is it's sort of like looking at what are the, what's the code of running like? What are the rules? What are the do's and don'ts? Yeah. Um, so some of this is kind of, you know, stuff like what to eat, how to avoid injuries, um, etiquette. But then there's stuff about like how often to post on social media, uh, what to do if someone shouts abuse at you from a car. Um, and then there's hopefully funny stuff like um, how to work into every single conversation that you've run a marathon, uh, how to deal with, you know, farts when you're running, um, how to use running as an excuse to get out of other things you don't want to do. Um, and how it came about was I wrote a book in 2017 called Running Cheaper Than Therapy for, again, for Bloomsbury. And that came about because I kept writing articles, kind of, the first one was called Which Park Runner Are You? And then the second one was called Which Runner Are You? And I just would list these different running archetypes. So for Park Run, Which Park Runner Are You? It'd be people like the one who lies on the starting line, you know, he'll say, I'm not going to go for it today. I'm, (laughs) I'm just making it easy. And then he'll take off like Usain Bolt is just, you know, in the distance. And, um, or the other one at Parkheim would be the, the overanalyzer, the one who stands in the car park afterwards and talks to you about it as if you're interviewing him on Sky Sports, you know, I'll start off well, but you know, I've struggled a bit in the third K to be fair, I've sort of tried to make up for it in the fourth, but and you just go, all oh, right, it's just a park run. You know? I don't need to. Hear. Yeah,
0: analysing every every part. And then run.
1: the one who will run through a puddle. Everyone on a park run route will run around, will go around the puddle, and you get that one person, nearly always a man. Let's be fair, who will just gallop straight through it like a horse. Um, <laughs> so I'd started writing these things, and then from that came running cheaper than therapy, which is my first book. And the reason I chose the title is. I kind of used to bristle a bit when people always said to me, oh, it must be great running because, you know, you can stay thin. Um, And although that, I say is true, it was true with me. (laughs) I don't know how much I run now, but I'm not going to be as thin as I used to be. But although it is true for a lot of us that it does keep us very thin and in shape, I think certainly me and I think a lot of runners, we do it more for how our mind feels after we run than out of any sort of sense of particular vanity. Certainly. If somebody would say to me, right, from tomorrow onwards, um, you'll continue to get the weight loss benefits of running, but you'll no longer feel that high and that happiness and all that. Yes. I would probably quite likely give up after a while. Whereas if it was the other way around, if they said, you know, you're guaranteed your run as high and your run as globe, but you're not going to, do you see what I mean? And so the idea was running cheaper than therapy was to look into the, and to celebrate the emotional benefits of running yeah so the runner's code to eventually answer answer your question is um that came about because i was chatting to my editor at right at the start of the pandemic yeah and i told him that i was writing an article with a sort of a runner's code for running during a pandemic as in you know how to be a considerate runner you know trying to sort of indicate like that yes if you run past an elderly couple in the in the park, they might be really, really scared because you're breathing heavily and you're sweating. So mm-hmm. just simply run 20 yards away, you know, just give them plenty of space and stuff. And then from that conversation about that article, we sort of thought perhaps there could be a similar book, but not in book form, but not um, about how to run in a COVID era, just how to run considerately and well and effectively and enjoyably yeah. generally. You know, regardless of the of the pandemic, so yeah,
0: hmm.
1: it's um those subjects that you brought up. We we see quite
0: some of these regularly on um on on Twitter, but the, the and there's a couple I'd like us to go over. So the how often should you post to social media? That's an interesting one.
1: <laughs> yeah, Um I just how I sort of concluded was a few guidelines. So one of them was. You don't need to run, you don't need to post before you do the run, while you do the run, and after you do the run, which is what a lot of people do. They'll sort of get up and they'll say, oh, you know, doing a 10 miler today. Great. You know, it's nice. I like to hear what people are doing. And then they'll sort of take a picture and put it up five miles in, halfway through my 10 miler, all going well. And then an hour later, you'll get one just got back i did a 10 miler today and you'll sort of go yeah okay you know probably those could have been (laughs) truncated into one tweet or one facebook update um the other ones were you know if there's something you know remarkable from the run if you got a particularly nice um scenery or if you um got a particularly good time or split time or whatever those sort of ones um that those would be acceptable ones the 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 other thing is about uh, fundraising. That's a big part, I think, of social media guidelines. Yeah. And so I sort of look into that. As in, there's actual, me- you know, people like Just Giving and stuff have got their suggestions for how often you post. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I sort of give ideas of how often you can do that. As in, you know, when you set up your page, perhaps as you pass milestones during your training. So once, if you're doing it from Marathon, once you do your first ten mile, your first fifteen mile, those are good times to post. Uh, when you get your race number, that can be a good one, yeah, and so forth. Um, I,
0: think I remember a bit in the in the book which said about how often can you go out to friends and family when you're fundraising.
1: Yes, yeah, because the thing is, is that I think I don't know about you, but it's like I've done so many um, for a while. I would just always do a fundraising thing if I did any yeah. half marathon or marathon, yeah. And then suddenly I realised after a while that actually, once upon a time in the old days where we'd go around with a, you know, a sheet of paper and get people to fill their names in with a pledge. Mm -hmm. It was always because the person who was doing that was doing something that was, it was genuinely remarkable. And so I thought I either have to start upping my thing to triathlons and ultra marathons, or eventually I'm going to have to stop, which sounds really measly because I mean, obviously there's other ways of supporting charities, but I just realized that if I was every single year, twice a year going to, asked to be sponsored to do a half-mouse and after a while I thought yeah but they know that I run further than half-mouse yeah that's exactly that's exactly the challenge yeah they believe that it's not a challenge
0: for you and and yet it, it is it's still a long way and, and there's different ways that you can challenge yourselves within it isn't it but yeah how do you go out to the same people asking for the for the donations again It it is a tricky one that we do get asked as well
1: Yeah, and I think the other thing is is that what you can do is you can choose occasionally a a charity, which I've done a few times, where I've chosen it predominantly just to give it prominence, as in for whatever money I raise for that charity, perhaps the awareness will be more. So way back in, I think, 2005 or whenever I did my first marathon, I did it for a progeria charity. Uh, And progeria is a very, very extremely rare um, premature ageing. Uh, disease or condition where basically you get kids they don't tend to live much beyond childhood but you'll get like a nine-year-old kid who looks 80 and there've been tv programs about the condition and stuff and um so i did it for that and i didn't i didn't get a hell of a lot of money and i didn't necessarily expect to because it's a very rare thing whereas if you do, obviously cancer or heart foundation or something people have yeah everyone has a personal connection to those issues some Mm -hmm. way or another but what it did do is it put the issue of progeria in a very small way uh, on the map more. And then in 2000, and I think, 13 or something, I did the Windsor Half for the Amy Winehouse Foundation, which had just literally just started up at the time. Yeah. And I thought, you know, that it would be good again just to sort of raise awareness of, of sort of what they were doing. So I think that's another way of going about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think another one of the things was mentioned in the book it was actually mentioned in a tweet last night as well which is the wave and hello debate mm.
1: i don't know about you but i i just you know so many times over the years i'll be running along and also because i live in quite a quiet area yeah if there's a runner in the distance i'll spot them you know because there's not other people on the pavement between me and them so i'll have all that time sometimes a couple of minutes and I think, oh, should I say hello? Shouldn't I say hello? I want to say hello, but I'm yeah. scared that they'll blank me. Is it too friendly? Oh, actually, it's not a man. It's a woman now. I see. well, would that be, could that be weird? It's quite early in the morning in a park. Mm-hmm. Shop, maybe not. But if I don't, will I look aloof? And this whole internal dialogue goes on. And I do always end up. Uh, waving or just nodding or something but um, I think that it's a thing that a lot of people struggle with and certainly say if I go and stay with a friend in London or or family in London and I go on a run in London Mm -hmm. I notice it's you know very different there it's it's you know um, there's much lower level of interaction between runners compared to where where I live where everybody you know everybody always says hello so really what I sort of the main code as such in the book is I just sort of say make a decision and use it as an opportunity to think what sort of person you are because there's nothing bad about being the person who doesn't want to say hello it might just be that some people are a bit a bit shy or a bit introverted and don't and actually go running to be alone and therefore don't want even momentary interaction but I think once you know what you're going to do it's a lot easier because then you see someone in the distance and there's no Horrible feeling in your stomach of should I say hello or should I not? You you know what you're going to do, and I think generally, as again as I concluded, and but I think it's generally a better thing for the world if there's more strangers waving or nodding at each other rather than fewer. It's a good thing.
0: Hmm. What what's the um? I, I, come on,
1: how do we deal with a fart then? <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, there's different ways of doing it. So as I say in the book, I mean, um, if you're with a bunch of men, just absolutely let it go. And if the men around you don't all turn around and high five you as you run along and go, well, then they're just not worth knowing, basically. Um, There's other ways you can wait till there's a, a loud car or something going past and just sort of slip it a bit under the radar. Yeah, I even jokingly, and I should stress jokingly, suggest using it as a tactic in any competitive runs. Okay. Just run slightly ahead of your opponent whilst retaining your nascent gust and then um, <laughs> sort of let it go so they have to sort of slow down. Um, tactical. Yeah, tactical <laughs> Um And, you know, you can cough over it or whatever. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of ways. But the thing is, is that weirdly it's like running on several levels. Um actually creates a little bit more, you know, we are likely, I think, runners to be a little bit more windy than usual for various reasons to do. with Like as you run, obviously you're breathing more deep, which means you're taking more, your various parts of your innards are moving around in a way. I looked into all of this. It was a great day of writing. Um, yeah, You'll move around in a way that sort of produces again, more wind. And um, often runners have more healthy diets and weirdly more healthy diets can actually, Certainly, more plant-based diets can, as I've <laughs> learnt in recent years, can uh, exacerbate the uh yes. the problem as well.
0: well. It can be, it can be almost laxative-like, can't it? Uh, you see lots mm. of people suggesting the two poo rule before before an event because it's the I forget the exact stat, but it, especially on the longer distance stuff because you're pounding and pounding and pounding the movement of your stomach going up and down and up and down. It's um, yeah, it almost has like a laxative effect. So. Mm. I'm glad someone's addressed this issue in in a book I haven't seen this before
1: <laughs> it's my favorite bit and um, I uh, yeah I when I when I was sort of you know start starting to come to the end of the writing and I would sort of tentatively email little sections to friends um, mm-hmm. that was also one that I sort of that I sent first because and I literally, I sat, my neighbor even said to me that afternoon, I was mowing the lawn and uh, my neighbor looked over and he said, what was going on earlier? And I said, well, he said, I heard you, you were laughing your head off what had happened. And when I said, Oh, I was writing something, it was really funny. He did look at me a bit like, oh, I see you were laughing at your own jokes and I was like, <laughs> no, but it's all about farts. So surely it's acceptable, but. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh,
1: well, what's it like? I, I,
0: I mentioned in the intro that you've written many books, haven't you? Well, um, well, in terms of your actual writing, how, how, what's your process with that? Do do you write spontaneously, or do you just, or do you have set times that you go away and and write on your own? Is there a room you go to, or do you do you disappear? You know, what what's your kind of process for your writing?
1: Very much a morning writer mm-hmm. and and a morning runner. Um, uh, you know, I like to with both of them just sort of get. I mean, I don't mean get it out of the way in a sort of negative way, but what I mean is is I think that if I schedule it and decide I'm going to do anything in the morning, yeah, it takes – I don't like decisions. I don't like should I run or should I not or should I write or should I not. I yeah. like it to be, no, I'm getting up, I'm getting out of bed, I'm getting right into whichever the two I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and – Therefore you sort of get to lunchtime and you've already sort of bugged the day in a way. You've sort of you've you've got something out of the day and it's yes. and it's not even quite lunchtime yet. Interestingly, in um in both books I did get um sort of guest contributors to do little pieces. Now in Runner's Code, it's various people like um Louise Minchin, uh Simon Donnelly, the former footballer, um mm-hmm. Billy Wingrove from the F2, and various uh running authors and Nikki Campbell from the BBC, they did a little piece, uh, a thing I love about running and a thing I hate about running. Yeah. Uh, but in the running cheap and therapy, it was a much more sort of loose brief for the guest contributors. I just said, just write something, sh- you know, shortish about running that means something to you. And uh, a, a a novelist who's written some quite successful young adult novels, um, she actually wrote a piece comparing writing to a book to running a marathon. Okay. And the more I've thought about it since I think she's absolutely, you know, right because when you start training for a marathon and certainly when you start running a marathon it's very very easy to be completely daunted and freaked out like what do you mean I've got 26.2 miles to go? Oh sorry to to run or what do you mean I've got 80,000 words to write? At that point it seems insane and it seems like the sort of thing where you should just immediately return to your bed and just say to people no i can't write the book or run the marathon um but of course you and you know you and i know and anyone who's who's run a marathon or any long distance knows you, you know it's an incremental thing you build from not being able to run anywhere near that distance over a period of weeks or months or in some cases years to being able to do it and it's the same with a with writing a book it's like when you first sit down and i think the runner's code is like sixty thousand words mm-hmm. When you first sit down, it's terrifying. It's like, my goodness, I've got so far to go. But you sort of slowly build it up. You you, you watch for your milestones. So, you know, when you've run, when you've written, if it's 60,000 words, you know, when I've written 600 words, a little thing in my head will go, oh, I've written that proportion of it. And then when you get to, you've written a fifth of it. And when you get to that halfway mark in any run, I don't know about you, I already, I always feel a bit, Mm-hmm. You know, I always get a little lift inside me of, oh, yeah. halfway through. The same with the book. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of my routine, I do like to sit by our front window because we live in a, in a close in a little village and I like to watch, you know, the people sort of wander past. Yeah. Um, I find that they're a regular reminder to me of, like, as they go past, a voice in my head, go, I wave, but then a the voice in my head goes, right, that's, you've got to get focused again. Yeah. Um, and I, lo- I like to write alone and I love to I love to, um, I love to run alone. It's, um, mm-hmm. people talk about, you know, people sometimes come up to me at Parkrun and go, oh, you know, why don't you join the local running club? And I'm like, it's great. And I'm like, I'm sure it's great, but I don't want to be with other human beings when I run.
0: Yes. Yeah. I'm, I agree. It's it's headspace. It's, um that, yeah, that's the best way for me to describe it. It's headspace to me.
1: And, then, and that it took means, me, that's an issue. Sorry, go on. So, sorry, please go on. Well, it took me a long time to actually have the confidence to, or not the confidence, but the willingness to take my phone on runs. What I used to do before was even way past the iPod era and into the iPhone era, I would take, what I would do is when I updated my phone, when I got a new uh, iPhone handset, I would keep the old one just effectively as a running thing As in, it's got a bit of music on it, some audio books, and some podcasts. It doesn't actually work as a phone anymore, but it has that audio features. And people used to say to me, Why don't you take your phone? Because then we can contact you. And I'll go, Yeah, but that's why I don't take it. <laughs> yeah. But in the end, I just thought, especially as I go through some really, really weird, sort of quiet, sort of fields and stuff and sort of countryside, I started taking it for safety. But even then, I'm like, You know, I. Anyone who knows me just knows if, if I'm out running, you should only contact me if it's really, really important because I will not be pleased if my if I get a message or a phone call during a run.
0: Yeah, your, it's your time.
1: Mm. Mm. Your point
0: about um, you know those baby steps that you were describing with writing the book and, and building up to a marathon, it's really important for people to hear that at this time of year. And I know there's a bit about newbie runners and being nice to them in the book as well, but that we'll we'll see lots of new runners coming in in the new year, and and it's the same with lots of new year goals, isn't it? And the reason why people give up on them so quickly is that we kind of we think of those sixty thousand words, don't we, and the, and the end goal, rather than breaking it down, and and we're in a rush with everything, aren't we nowadays? Um, so why not break it down into these smaller steps, like you're talking about, and being happy with the six hundred word progress, and then and then and then going again.
1: Yeah, it's a big thing that I say to people, because I'm sure you have it as well. You'll have somebody on social media, like an old friend or someone you went to school with or something, and they'll they'll, they'll message you and they'll say, oh, I see you run a lot. I've just entered my local half marathon or marathon or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I currently can't even run for the bus. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. Um, and when or they'll say, I went out running earlier and now I feel like I want to die and stuff. And I'll say, well, how long did you run for? And I'll be like, no, you shouldn't have run for even one-tenth as much as that. You know, I'll say to them, run for a minute, walk for a minute, run for a minute, go home. That's your first training thing because you'll go home and you'll feel like you can probably do a bit more, but that's exactly the feeling to take home when you first have first trained as a tried out running or jogging. Mm -hmm. You should go home thinking, I could have done more than that rather than go home thinking, I literally feel like I want to curl up, curl into a ball and die. Um, and you're right. But I, you see, the thing I love about running is it buys into what you just said, which is that I just love the, what I'd call the sort of the authenticity of it. There's so much in, in the world now where people fake things, you know, they'll, they'll present a, a happier relationship maybe on social media, or they'll present a, a, a richer lifestyle than they really have on social media or, um, you know, people cheating exams or whatever it is, sort of yeah. is. There's a lot of this that goes on in the world, to, to lesser or greater degrees. But running, you will not run that marathon. You will not complete that marathon unless you've done, you know, unless you've prepared for it properly. Unless you talk about people who sort of walk it, you mm-hmm. <laughs> know. Even even then, it takes a certain amount of preparing to even be able to walk a marathon. But yes. you, you will only get basically. I'll put it a different way. You will only get a sub four hour marathon finishing time if you've trained for a sub four, effectively for a sub four hour finishing time in a marathon yes you can't just go along and bluff it and put it on instagram uh you because you, you you won't you won't do it and th- th- i've known people sometimes to enter marathons and they haven't really trained and they've been like, oh, i'll just i'll just bask it. you can't just busk running no. it's, it's, there is no there is not there is not that possibility um and i really really like it about it and like that about it and uh and this is not said from a smug point of view as in i i've you know several times over the years sort of you know been been a bit had a wake wake up calls myself where i've certainly that middle marathon i talked about where i just hadn't prepared for it properly and Mm -hmm. thought oh it will be fine and then had a 20 minute slower finish time than the previous year which i was really disappointed with but most i was disappointed with was that every mile after mile eight of that marathon was hell i basically how you normally feel 23 miles into a marathon i felt at mile eight and that's scary
0: mm. yeah it's, it's it's very humbling isn't it yeah. <laughs> yeah, very humbling
1: for many reasons i mean yeah
0: one of the things that i like about it is that unless you've been at a really high level as a runner maybe in your teens and, and 20s it is something you can pick up and 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 improve that for quite for quite a long time, you know, before we do naturally begin to get get too old to to continue to improve. But the the challenge is always there, and and it's great to be to see people in their fifties, sixties, seventies, complete competing with people in their twenties and thirties. It's um, a very humbling, very humbling sport.
1: Whereas well, every single running event I've ever been at, whether it's a park run or, or longer ones, there's always that old man or old woman um, who is just bombing it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely just bombing it. And you they, they quite often they won't even have they won't have technical kit on because, you know, they ran they started running so long ago, they're still in the same habits, but they're maybe I don't know how old, like I'm thinking maybe seventies or something. Mm-hmm. And they will absolutely speed past me. And there's nothing sort of more bittersweet than when you're running in the final, say, mile of a half marathon. You know how when you run in the final mile of any event, there's quite often you see people going home who've run it and you can see because they've got their their medal on and they're sort of walking alongside the thing against the flow of traffic. I do sometimes wonder if they're just doing it just to show off, which if it was, would be quite funny. But um, when you're running along, like, especially when I was younger, I'm in my late 40s now, so I'm no spring chicken, but when I was younger and I'd be just about a mile away from finishing, absolutely feeling awful, like really, really tired. And then suddenly I'd look up and there'd be, you know, a 70-year-old man or a 70-year-old woman going home with their mask, with their sorry, mask, with their medal around their neck. Yes. Uh, looking as fresh as a daisy. And I would just think, on the one hand, what a sweet thing and good on them. On the other hand, oh, I feel i would feel really embarrassed as well
0: yeah that competitive side kicks in as well i think that's what's um yeah all of it all of it and all of that encompassed all together makes running what it is it's great we, Chaz, thanks ever so much for coming on remind us remind us the book and where it is and where people can follow you and interact as well and you're quite active on on social media as well aren't you yeah
1: so my twitter and instagram handles are all that chess mm-hmm. um like all that jazz but all that chas chas um my books are running cheaper than therapy and the runner's code both published by bloomsbury um if anyone feels like doing me a colossal fail I go and ask for it in a bookshop but it is available at all the usual online book retailers as well the runner's code and running cheaper than therapy
0: brilliant Chaz. thanks ever so much it's been great chatting
1: thank you